This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Today I want to talk about the door is shut. It is probably the most serious message I've ever preached in my short, illustrative career um, in ministry. So I'm going to ask you to just really pay attention. I pray that the Lord will help me in spite of me, that I may not deliver it the way that I hear it in my mind and feel it in my heart and tap out the message. I'm praying that God will fill in uh, the voids that come from when a person shares the truth. We're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 13. If you have your Bibles turned there, we'll read there in a second. And um, it's an incredible passage. It's an important passage. And it's a very sobering passage. Now, when I read the title, The Door is Shut, uh, many of us will think, well, how many times the Lord has shut the door? Raise your hand if you have ever had the door shut uh, from the Lord. Yes, we all have. You know, you thought you had an opportunity and the door was closed. You thought this was going to happen, and the door was closed. You thought you were going to get that job, and the door was closed. Anybody been there? Yeah, we've all been there. One of the challenges as a pastor is to make sure that I I preach the whole gospel. In our small groups, we've been talking about how easy it is to to get into what we call a, a theological sweet tooth. We always go to it. We always go to it. Uh, no fault of anybody on our team, our worship team, but many of our worship songs always kind of lean toward one theological sweet tooth. It always goes to that. He's saying some of it was awesome. It's not that it's not true, but it, it's constantly uh, going to that direction. I have one of these in my house. A little baby piano. And can you imagine what it sounds like? Can you do? Uh, Although the sounds are probably correct, ours is a digital uh, battery-operated keyboard. Um, It's not the full picture, is it? It's not the full picture. It's just a small, tiny sample of the sounds that a piano can produce. My wife is an artist, and she likes to paint. And, uh, but so does my little granddaughter, who's four and a half years old. And this is the kind of things that we give our granddaughter, a little palette of small samples. It's not the full palette that you would get as an artist, something similar to this. And so a lot of times our preaching, and sometimes, and I, I blame myself, and sometimes our teaching and our, and our songs that we sing are more like this. Yes, they're true colors, but they only give us a glimpse of the fullness of the gospel. When I preach sometimes, I imagine some of the topics I talk about is more like this and not like this. This is an incredibly sobering passage. It has uh, shaken me. I began to pray over it and read over it the last couple of weeks. 
I will tell you that not everything that I'm about to share is original with me. I do a lot of reading. Um, I'll take a passage or a thought, and I'll, uh, this is not a research paper, all right? This is not origination by Mario. When it comes to messages and sermons, uh, nothing's new under the sun. I just heard, saw a guy on TV preach a message. I'm like, that's what I preach. You know, he must be listening to me. But uh, I'm sure he got it from the same source I did, and we just kind of, we're all preaching basically uh, the scripture. Nothing's new under the sun. But Luke chapter 13, verse 22, if you can go there with me. And this is so important. I get to, I, I get, I'm lucky enough that I get to spend uh, breakfasts with Dr. Pete. And Dr. Pete is a, basically, he's, he's a science and he's a, he's a chemist. And he tells me sometimes the frustrations that I imagine a lot of researchers experience is that he'll go to the lab and the lab is dirty. You know, for someone who might not know about chemistry and laboratories. The question I have to Dr. Pete, and he's back there, and I'll ask him, if the lab or your experiment gets contaminated, is that good or is that not good? What is it? It's very bad. If the experiment that he's working on, the research that he's working on has got contaminated, it's not good. I see Dr. Heidi here, and she plays pianos like that, and she does phenomenal. It's mind-boggling what she can do with this piano. But I imagine that piano gets tuned, and if there is a, uh, a, a piano that's not tuned correctly, it's not tuned correctly, Dr. Heidi, it, I can imagine that's not a good thing. If, you, if you're expecting someone to tune the piano for you, you're in the middle, right before your concert, and you get onto that piano and it's not tuned, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a very bad thing, all right. Uh, we've got engineer Joel here. Joel, you're working on some formula. Uh, you're working on a project, you're going to build something, and if the formula is wrong, what's, it's not good. Not good. Luke chapter 13, verse 22, read with me. And he was passing through the village from one city and village to another, this is Jesus, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few people who will be saved? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. And, the, and then he will say to you, I do not know you where you're from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, and he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be cast out, and they will come from east and west and from the north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. I've been around a few years, and I've never heard a worship song on this passage. 
I've never heard one. Um, because a lot of times what we like to read and what we like to sing uh, is simple. It's a small sample. When I read the scripture, I get, my heart breaks. It scares me. It's difficult to accept. It's difficult to acknowledge. When I read, I, I get sad. And I'm not sad because of those poor blokes or those poor people. Sad for me. Because it says there are only a few. The question is, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And yet, while we rejoice this morning of our own salvation, do we mourn? Blessed are those who mourn for those who are not. The it's just the few who are going to be saved, not the many. And so let me just set up the scene in this scripture. Now, Jesus is uh, almost through, he's like two and a half years into his ministry, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's halfway there. And by this time, we know he's, uh, he's halfway to Jerusalem, but he's two-thirds of the way, more than two-thirds of the way done with his ministry. In just a short few months, He's going to be crucified. We're going to be talking about that in a few weeks in Easter. And so he's been uh, roaming around the southern parts of, of Israel, and he's setting up for Jerusalem. And by that time, he's already experienced um, what people would consider success. He has large crowds of people who are following his ministry. Large crowds of people who are following his ministry. By this time, he's overpowered demons, casted them out. He has performed miracles. Um, he has cleansed people from diseases, and he has overpowered death. So now there's this crowd of people who are following him around. Some scripture tells us that 10,000 and plus. But we're going to see that the true believers are just a few. By this time, the national religious leaders are now planning to murder him. They think that he is acting out with, on demon, with demonic powers, that he's casting out devils with demonic powers. So I would say that he is, his ministry is peaked and it's on the way down. If we use kind of like the, the terminology that we would use today. And so the overall population was kind of like they didn't care or they weren't really involved. But those who were involved seemed to be following him to see all these miracles happen. Or they hated him. Hatred for Jesus is now building up. The, uh, the Gospel of John says that he came to his own. His own received him not. His own people did not receive him from his own town. He was in the world. The world was made up by him, but they did not know him. The followers, those who were following him around, were many but those who were following Jesus were few. 
and few people. And so here we come. The people are a bit, are a bit disillusioned. Things aren't folding the way they thought it should unfold. They thought as we come to Palm Sunday in a few weeks, they thought that Jesus was going to usher in. Israel was going to be now on the top. The Romans were going to be under their feet. And he was going to establish this earthly kingdom. And people were going to rule and reign with him. But it's not happening. And so we come to verse 23. Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? It's funny that they, she asked that question. She, well, the person who asked the question didn't say, are there a few who understand what you're saying? They understood what he was saying. Jesus was in the ministry of preaching salvation. He wasn't preaching church growth. Nothing wrong with that, but he was teaching salvation. And he was talking about, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. You can be part of that. But his message was salvation. But for the most part, people who were following him around didn't understand it. But I think they did understand. I think they clearly understood what the problem was. What's the difference between those who are few to those who are many? The many don't want to admit their sin. And if you're honest with me, you don't have to raise your hand, and I'll be honest with you, it's not easy to admit that you're sinful. It's not easy to say to your spouse, or at least it isn't for me sometimes, I was wrong. It doesn't just naturally flow out of me. I was wrong. But they knew that Jesus was here to preach salvation. They understood what it meant. But the issue is that they wouldn't admit their sin. They wouldn't, and if you read this, you know, especially from the concept of what we preached in the past, blessed are the poor in spirit, they wouldn't admit that they were self-righteous. They wouldn't abandon their false religion. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't deny themselves. And they definitely would not confess him as Lord. We talked about that in, in our group Wednesday night as we're doing the Apostles' Creed. So be, to be truthful, only a few were truly being saved. That was clear. The message is tough. Look at the, uh, you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 6. I won't read the whole thing because it's lengthy. But Jesus says, listen, in John 6, 53, Verily, verily, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I have yet to hear uh, a, a Christian song on that subject matter as well. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven. And at the very end, we don't read the whole thing, but in verse 66, it says, From this time on, many of his disciples, the disciples of Jesus, turned back and no longer followed him. So we went from many to few. So the excitement of following Jesus around is now becoming, it's, it's waning. It's fading fast. And so the question that is brought up, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? It's a great question. It's a great question to ask. Why is it only a few people respond to the gospel? Where it seems like false gospel have many people following it. Why? Why only a few? Jesus' answer is incredibly intriguing. If you just look in your scriptures and see his answer. Now, if somebody asked me, why are there few, I would probably answer, well, this is why. Unlike what I've just done. But Jesus doesn't answer that. He doesn't say, well, the few are really, and he, and he doesn't give us, a, you know, some formula, you know, what percentage is really few. He doesn't say the why, but this is what he says. It's mind-boggling. Why are there, will there just be a few people who are being saved? And then he'll say, he doesn't answer that question. I think he answers the question at a much, much deeper level. Strive to enter in by the narrow door. Strive to enter in to the narrow door. Don't you find that a little bit strange from the question? Jesus, are there going to be a few people, are there a few who are going to be saved? Normally you would say, well, the reason is, or, well, the number is this number, but he doesn't answer that. He says, strive to enter by the narrow door. It's irrelevant what the number is. I posted something on Facebook yesterday. The few that enter the door or the few who are on the narrow road, um, I, I post it from a, a loving father's perspective. It's not the number. It's not like 10% or 5% or 2%. That's irrelevant. It's few from a father's perspective. If you have two children and only one of them survives, lives on, that's too few, isn't it? You know, if I have three children, God forbid if one of them doesn't make it in their life, that's too few. It pains as a father to see someone not make it. Strive. What does that mean? Have you ever done a Bible study and strive to enter the narrow door? It's irrelevant what the actual number is. Strive to enter the narrow door. I have a family member who just loves to talk about end times. 
he wants to figure out when Jesus is coming back. And I try to gently say, well, I'm just trying to get into the door, man. You know, I don't know when he's coming, but when he comes, I want to find myself inside. And not just myself, but those who I love and care for. I think it's important to, to study end times, to know the, the times and the seasons. But man, don't you think it would be more important to, to strive to get into the door? Now, typically, you won't ever hear that, will you, in, a, in an evangelistic uh, sermon or service? How must one be saved? You don't ever hear, strive to enter the narrow door. And I've done this. It's, Typically, bow your head, close your eyes, nobody looking, raise your hand. Right? That's what we do. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, strive to enter in the narrow door. The reason I asked uh, Dr. Heidi and Dr. Christopher and, and, and Joel, engineer Joel, is that, is it possible, is it possible, is it probable that maybe the, what we've been taught or what we've been teaching might be a little off? Strive to enter the narrow door. The word strive, agnozomai, I don't pronounce it perfectly, it means to fight to compete, to battle. Battle to enter the narrow door. Jesus is not saying raise your hand to enter the narrow door, but he's saying to battle to enter the narrow door. And then he goes on to say, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That's sad. Literally, it, I've wept over this passage. For many, I tell you, many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. And the question is why? Why won't a lot be able to? Because people don't fight. And, you know, you may have some questions. I'm not talking about work, salvation. I'm talking about just the words of Christ. I don't know the exact numbers, but I was told, and I read somewhere, so this I'm gener generally correct, that if you give um, a South Korean student, a high school student, a mathematical problem that they can't figure out, they will work at it for about 20 minutes before they give up. I can't do it. They fight to try to figure out how to get that answer. The typical American high school student is less than two minutes. Less than two minutes. They don't, it's like the concept of fighting and trying to figure it out and just taking time and, you know, unraveling your mind and just try to dig in deep. 
It doesn't seem to come naturally to our American students. And so Jesus tells us to fight, to compete, to battle. The question, the bigger question is why? Why won't people fight? Because you have to fight pride. You have to fight your own self-righteousness. I have to, I'm not talking to myself. We have to fight our own love for sin. We have to fight the desire of having it my way. I want to control my life. We talked about that in Bible study. You're going to be talking about it on, on small groups. When it talks about our, the king. We need to submit to the king, our father. Why is it hard to submit to a father, our heavenly father? It's because we want to do our own will. We don't like anyone telling us what to do. That's the challenge, isn't it? I can go on campus right now. It's like, how many would like to go to heaven? And everybody will raise their hand. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? Who wants to have eternal life? Everybody wants to raise their hand. All right, you have to give up control of your own life. You can't have it your way. You have to bow your knee to Jesus. Crickets. The battle is to fight our own pride. The battle is to fight our own self-righteousness. The battle is to fight our own love for sin, our own desires to control our own lives. The masses will not fight. And so sadly, that's where the number few comes in. It's one of the most frightening statements, I think, Jesus, that I've read. That many people are want to get to heaven. Many people want to have eternal life. But they're not going to find it. Because they're going to lose in the battle. Everybody understood that when they're listening to Jesus. The disciples that left them in John chapter 6 understood that. So when we have a science project that's, or science research that's contaminated, or a piano that's not tuned, or an engineering project that doesn't have the right formula, it's, it's a little off, I've seen pictures of bridges that were not done correctly. You know, the two ends meet, and all of a sudden you find they're like eight feet apart. And I would say the same thing, that we need to be careful that we're not following a contaminated gospel. A perverted theological formula. A mistuned understanding of the passage of of the gospel. Because when we're off, if our project is contaminated, it gets us nowhere. It doesn't get us to where we want to go. If the gospel is corrupted, it doesn't get us to our destination. If it's watered down, if it's watered, if the message, the gospel message of salvation is watered down, then all that does is kind of channels people into the wide road. 
So that's why if um, Bryce is here and we're, we're, I mean, we're always like wrestling over songs, aren't we? I mean, we're wrestlers on, on songs like, hey, what is this song saying? And at times I have to say, hey, prop it up with the gospel, with a, a scripture. Because the last thing we want here at Mosaic Church is a watered-down gospel. To think that people are on this, on the, on, the, on the road, that narrow road, and only to find out that they're not. You know, when the Bible talks about teachers that, teaching the gospel, they, they need to be taken, they need to take it seriously. There's a whole different judgment level for those who are teachers. A watered-down gospel gets us nowhere, but probably onto the road that's wide and leads to destruction. I do find it funny, I don't mean like hilariously funny, ironic. Will there a few be saved? And Jesus says, strive to enter by the narrow door. Basically, it, I, I'm not sure, I can't read the mind of the person who asked the question. Hey, who's going to be saved? And Jesus turns it. I can imagine they looked him right in the eye. Hey, are you saved? Are you going to make it? Are you going to fight and strive to enter the door? That person was worried about everybody else. Hey, yeah, I'm on the inside. Jesus doesn't answer like that. He says, hey, you strive. You fight. And it's not that we're fighting to earn salvation, but we have to humble ourselves and say no to to sin and to pride and to self-preservation. This scripture literally made me shake. Because I'll be honest with you, at age 18, I raised my hand, closed my eyes and raised my hand. That was my, that's my salvation story. I know my kids are here, my in-laws are here. But at age 19, living like the devil, worse. I was the epitome of a wolf in sheep's clothing. I had, I had no idea that I had to fight to get into the door. I thought I was in the door. I thought I was already in. Close my eyes. Bada boom, bada bing, I'm in. No true repentance. No true denying of self. Nothing of carrying my cross and denying myself. Nothing. It was literally, lower your neck. <laughs> just think of it. If you think of it, just lower your neck, close your eyes, raise your hand, you're in. That's so far from the gospel. And I've been guilty of doing the same thing. Little did I know that my, my science project was contaminated. My, my plans were not right. Anna was mistuned. But only by God's grace, he helped me get back onto that. Only by God's grace did he help me 
realized the truth. And at age 23, I had a supernatural encounter with Jesus. Literally, a supernatural encounter. And at that time, I bowed my knee to him. Not my will be done. Your will be done. I will deny myself. I'm not trying to be true to myself. And you know what I recognize about myself as I have gotten older and served the Lord longer and longer? I have more aware of my propensities to do wrong. When I get closer to the light, I see more blemishes in my life. I don't know about your wife, but my wife has one of those mirrors that has these special light, and you get closer, you're like, whoa. If you get too close, you're like, whoa. I want the dim light. But not my will be done. Your will be done. I know some believers who feel it's okay to hold on to unforgiveness. What gospel message is that? Or to hate people. Or to treat people without dignity. That's not the gospel. That's what's, that's, that's the flesh. I remember talking to someone, they said, I said to them, have you thought about um, forgiving? No, and, and God understands. Like, what God is that? The thing about the wide road, it's kind of like um, I've been doing a lot of traveling. I've seen people like this at the airport. The wide road is like someone who wants to travel like this. They want to take everything with them. They want to carry their own junk. On the wide road, you don't have to, you don't have to let go of anything. You don't have to let go of your sin. You just hold on to it. Selfishness, hold on to it. Just pack it. You know, when you're on a flight, I mean, you're limited, aren't you, unless you want to pay. One thing I liked about traveling on the train is that you can take as many, basically as much luggage as you want or on the bus, basically. There's unlimited. But on the wide road, you can take it all with you. You can take your own sin. You don't have to deal with anything. You don't have to forgive anybody. You can, you can hate people, hate groups of people. You can hate your husband. You can hate your wife. You can hate your children. You can hate your mom and dad. You can, you can literally, on the wide road, not forgive your parents. You can do that. On that road, all everybody's welcome. No need to change. No need to fight, no need to strive, no need to battle, just get on the road. Self-righteousness, welcomed. Unrepentant heart, welcomed. You don't have to leave anything behind. And we all think we're going to get to our destination. We think it says heaven, but really it's, it's not heaven. And I don't say that laughing. 
Sadly, a lot of believers think you can do this. They think this is the narrow road. I was on that road. Those three years that I lived, you know, I raised my hand, bowed my neck, closed my eyes. For about three and a half, four years, I lived like that. And that brought a lot of destruction. I just prayed a little prayer. I thought I, I was in. And then in James chapter 4 says, Weep, wail, be miserable, turn your laughter into tears, because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Let me go back to the story. I'm not going to finish the whole thing. This is just part A. Strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house, you can go to the next picture. Once the head of the house, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open up. And the answer will come from the other side of the doors. I don't know you. And then he goes, depart from me, you evildoers. I'm not sure. I haven't studied that absolute word. But uh, there's another story that's very similar. You know, didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we heal? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And, and Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. The word iniquity is not, not like sinful acts. You know, you, it's not like the, the typical youth group play, you know, the, the, the drugs, the drinking, and, you know, the necking. I call it necking. Now, so. It's doers of your own will. You are your own boss. You are your own king. Depart from me. All of you who are your own bosses. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but you yourselves will be cast out. This scripture should shake us, and you should question ourselves. Hey, did I start off right, or was my formula that I thought and all that was it corrupted, contaminated? And a lot of times we struggle with this stuff that the previous pictures because we haven't. We haven't bowed our knee. We haven't submitted. So think of it. If someone comes into the, the door that doesn't have to deal with any of the stuff, I believe that's the person who always struggles with that stuff. Just reminded of that little story of the cocoon, of the, the little caterpillar turning into a butterfly, and this little boy Felt bad, so he, he, cut the, uh, he cut the cocoon out and cracked it open to help the butterfly fly. You know the story? Raise your hand. You're talking about. And what happens to the butterfly? It doesn't fly. The co- getting out of the cocoon is part of the process of flying. And I'm wondering, and I'm trying to go back in my, all my messages in years past, Lord, did I cut the cocoon Too many people that can't fly, that constantly struggle. 
So this morning I want to stop. Uh, this is, I don't know if you'll return next week, but there is a part B. I'll be honest with you, it gets worse. You, let me just tell you, you know the stories of the ten virgins waiting on the groom? You know that story? Just think. They were all dressed for the wedding. They were like probably family members. You know, when my son got married, you know, all the groomsmen were like family members. So can you imagine? You're at a wedding and you invited the family. And half of them don't make it. They had the right clothing, right culture. They're kind of in the right spot. following Jesus, but when the time came, they weren't ready. It's sobering. Anyway, so as a pastor, I cannot paint with just a little bunch of baby watercolors. It doesn't do us any service. I hope you understand my heart. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything. I'm just trying to Preach the gospel. Are there a few people going to be saved? Strive to get into the door. Fight the fight, the good fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I ask for forgiveness when I um, not totally preached your full gospel. I peel that back that layer. Why? I would do that. Lord, I, I, I cannot rely on ignorance, but other than maybe affirmation, growth. But Lord, I want to be a true follower of the of of you. A preacher of the full gospel. Lord, I want I don't want to be that. A Levite who, priest who, with 10 shekels in his shirt, would water down the message. Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, I pray God all of us would just begin to chew and pray and ask ourselves, Lord, about our own lives, about our kids' lives, our children, our spouses. Lord, forgive us if we've held on to baggage that we should not hold on to. That is not your way. To the luggage of unforgiveness or unrepentance. Lord, I pray that that's there's no part of us. Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for a Holy Spirit conviction. And Lord, we keep the enemy away from any condemnation. But Lord, help us to respond to your spirit. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.